Welcome to the Lumpin Week in Review, the show that presents the best of Lumpin Radio each week. This week, we learned about a new golden age in radio, discussed legendary Chicago music, and talked about workers' struggles worldwide. All this plus the latest from Eureka Cast Now, Size Matters, and the Biden Files. It's the Lumpin Week in Review for March 19, 2021. Mario Smith spoke to Mars Williams, the Hall of Fame sax player and former member of The Waitresses, Psychedelic Furs, and The Power Station. Williams spoke about his love of Eric Dolphy, how he missed a presidential serenade because he was in the can, and how he pieced together hundreds of hours of decaying tapes. News from the service entrance with Mario Smith airs every Thursday at 2 p.m. I need to to just tell you something I don't think I've ever told you. I know we talk about the furs a lot. You're, you're being in psychedelic furs. It completely slipped my mind that you were part of the waitresses. Oh, yeah. And I, I've seen you so much in my life, but with the waitresses, I couldn't get past Tracy Wormwood to look at whoever else was playing in the band. Oh, man. Tracy Wormworth is a badass. And bass player. Yeah. I still see her occasionally because she plays uh, with the B-52s now. Mm-hmm. And... Um, so, you know, we've remained friends. We were always close back then. Um, and Psychedelic Furs does a lot of shows, actually, that are on the same bill with the, uh, uh, with the B-52s. Like, we just did Hollywood Bowl with, with an orchestra. Wow. With wow. Uh, the Furs and B-52s did played. It was, it was a fantastic night. We did three nights there, the Hollywood I, Bowl. It's um, but, but besides that... Um, Billy Ficka was on drums from television. Mm-hmm. And then Chris Butler was the leader of the group from uh, who before the waitresses, he started the band, but before the waitresses, he had a group called Tim Huey, which was from Akron on Warner Brothers label. Little, it's hard to explain their music, maybe a little fusion. <laughs> I don't know. But, you know, the Waitresses were a great band, man. I have such great memories of that band because musically, it was this real progressive pop that, you know, people know, I know what boys like. They know the Christmas rapping song. Right. Um, Square Pegs, I guess, from the TV theme. Right, right. Uh, but, you know, if you listen to the albums, man, there's some amazing stuff. I listen to it. You know, occasionally it pops up on my uh, my random iTunes, and um, and I'm like, man, we were doing some <laughs> back then, you know? <laughs> right. Um, I I think what what really stands out though, and I don't know if, and I don't think it's acknowledged properly. There was a time when MTV had a a super shortage of acts that they played with people of color in them. Um, and the waitresses actually got played a lot, and 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 Tracy was there for that. And I mean, with with that in mind, and the the, the fact that Square Pegs was such a big deal, that's a, a hell of a of a nice band to have been in. And to your point, it's way more than Square Pegs, and I know what boys want. Or so much good music in, in, in that group. Um, and you like you know, I was I, I did my research on you, sir. And uh, Eric Dolphy comes up a lot when when people talk about you and mm-hmm. and and your your playing. How much of a I hate to use the word influence because I think everyone is influenced by a lot of different things. But how much of Eric Dolphy's philosophy do you put into your playing? 
Um, you mean philosophy by just uh, the music I musically? Okay. Yeah, yeah, music philosophy. Yeah. Um, you know, I uh, very influenced by by Eric Dolphy, along with a lot of others. Um, but Eric Dolphy, I mean, I his records that he did under his own name, like on Prestige um, label, uh, and the stuff he did with Coltrane. You know, mm -hmm. the um, he was in that Coltrane group that did uh, the Live at the Village Vanguard box set oh man that stuff is incredible and what i liked about his playing was he didn't do he, he came he had that feel of swing and but took it to this intervelastic approach in the music eddie harris did the same thing actually mm -hmm. had this intervelastic approach i was influenced by him too mm -hmm. and he took it a little more outside the actual chord changes yeah you know so it would he experimented experimented more with uh you know besides the intervelastic approach um i guess uh yeah just uh tonality wise uh um harmonic wise and uh and i really liked that i was very influenced by more of the innovators in music, the ones, those were the ones that always, that drew my attention and my ear. And that's who I was influenced by. You've got like, you know, John Coltrane. Uh, well, I could go on and on from way back, but uh, Eric Dolphy, uh, Charlie Parker, um, but then into the more like Anthony Braxton, Albert Eiler, mm -hmm. the more avant-garde stuff. Uh, Don Cherry. Did I say Ornette Coleman? No, you didn't. <laughs> uh, but okay, Ornette Coleman. Uh, yeah. But then a lot of the stuff that was going on in Chicago. I mean, Chicago was very innovative in the new music. Um, and I'm doing quotes with my fingers right now with new music. <laughs> but um, the Association for the Advancement of Creative Musicians, the yes. AACM. Absolutely. It was on the south side of Chicago. Um, they, it was ACM Great Black Music, uh, which was another term that they used, the Art Ensemble Chicago, mm -hmm. which to me was one of the most influential bands, I think, in my career. That's Lester Bowie. And before, yeah. Doc, before Dr. Lester Bowie made his transition, I had a chance to see him play a lot when I worked for a guild complex. And that dude was amazing with it. He, he oh, yeah. was he was amazing with it. And it's funny, I'm listening to uh, Thimby by Pharaoh Saunders at the mm -hmm. moment. And all of that in avant-garde stuff and just the, the the expression and the way that they play, it, 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 it definitely fits in to what I hear when I hear you play. So having said that, let's bridge this gap straight to Liquid Soul. We'll just skip past <laughs> the 90s, uh, okay. the, the first part of the 90s anyway. Liquid Soul, on its face is such a beast and such a big sound and it, it it it's it's different levels of it though i mean you got the music part then you got dirty doing the vocals you may have b quarrels helping him out with vocals if dirty or, or brian aren't around then you might bring in mr Greenweeds or pugs or somebody like that it speaks a lot to the versatility of you as a musician and to the guys that you have playing with you, Rick and Ron and all those folks and Jesse Daylight at one time. What makes Liquid Soul 
for you that band? What makes it that band? Yeah. That, yeah I mean, uh, that, and I, okay. I, I mean that to say what makes it, 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 it's clearly, <laughs> it's, it survived a lot of different kinds of hits uh, and, and, and changes and whatnot, but it's still that band. It, when, when you guys play, it still drives. It's still got that, that punch to it. How, how, do, how have you maintained that for, for this period of time? Uh, because I always, um, you know, I only bring in people that are great musicians, but open-minded musicians um, that uh, have honed their craft, uh, know their instruments, know the music, um, but have also the spirit, I guess, of wanting to have fun, mm -hmm. but create something different and entertaining, but creative, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. So, um, and you know, yeah, there's been a lot of, you know, different musicians in and out of Liquid Soul over the years. I think I've counted about maybe 26. Wow. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it's the core of the band. I mean, there's a lot of history in this band. Like before the Double Door, we had the Elbow Room. Right. Oh, yes. Any of those, Mario. I think, I think those were the ones where I first saw, for yeah. sure, those were the ones that I first saw. Liquid Soul. And, you know, uh, Jesse De La Pena was very influential in the direction of this band because he was bringing in, he was turning me on to some things that were going on in England and in uh, starting in New York a bit with uh, Groove Collective and, you know, using a DJ with live musicians. Mm -hmm. And Tommy Klein, the guitarist in, in Liquid Soul, he was uh, started doing some things with Jesse and they were working down at um, the smart bar, I believe. And they were working on a, a project called the booty Kings. Mm -hmm. And that was, um, they were starting to do things with just Jesse spinning. And then they'd play a couple live musicians um, and bring in some MCs. I had this group called act of God, mm -hmm. which was yep. Tommy was also in that. And, and Ricky, actually, we had Angus, Angus Thomas, Angus Bangus at first, and then Ricky Showalter took his place on bass. Mm -hmm. But um, that group was doing kind of, if you can imagine Liquid Soul without the DJ hip hop influence of it, okay? Right. In fact, we're doing, Liquid Soul did a lot of Act of God songs. So basically what we did was we, decided to do this collaboration of doing more live musicians with Jesse De La Pena spinning, doing um, jazz standards with hip hop beats under it, whatever beats Je Jesse would spin. Mm -hmm. And we decided to do a thing where, okay, let's just do some freestyle jams and do this stuff. And we started at the elbow room on a Sunday night. And uh, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to do this in a, in a nutshell because the story is, is pretty involved, but, um, but I, I want to mention that because that was, you know, Jesse brought in a lot of influence. Tommy was doing things. And then together we just uh, knocked heads 
put things or not knocked heads, we put our heads together mm-hmm. and form this collective. Chuck Mertz chatted with historian Raquel Varela about her book, A People's History of Europe from World War I to Today. Varela discussed leftist movements across Europe and how workers' struggles have remained largely unfulfilled. This is Hell airs every Thursday and Sunday at 10 a.m. Welcome back to This is Hell, Raquel. Thank you so much for the invitation uh, again. It's a pleasure to be here. This is Raquel. Again, a little bit around history, yes. past, present, and future. Yeah, I love it. This is uh, Raquel's second uh, appearance on This Is Hell. Raquel was on back in July of 2019 to discuss her then-just-published book, A People's History of the Portuguese Revolution, which we named as one of our favorite books to be featured here on This Is Hell in 2019. And you can find that interview right now by going to thisishell.com and searching on Raquel's last name, Varela, V-A-R-E-L-A. I want to ask you about people's history and the idea of memory and history to begin with. There's a description at the beginning of the book of what a people's history is and what that means. This is your second people's history. For those who may be unfamiliar with people's history or are uncertain how a people's history is different from the more traditional history, which we are taught, how would you describe or define a a people's history? Because I recently saw an online conversation, a discussion among those who identify as being on the left here in the United States about people's history, with some inquiring as to how they are different from the traditional reading of history. And a phrase that many were using was, 
instead instead of history from the victor's or the winner's perspective, it's from the quote-unquote loser's perspective. And that did not sit well with me. How is a people's history different? And is it history from the perspective of those who lost to the powerful? Well, um, that's a very provocative question with this sentence. I do not agree with this view of people's history. I think uh, the people's history, well, first of all, we are uh, all a little bit fathers and sons of our zines, uh, the people's history of USA, which has, of course, inspired us. If we go a little bit uh, before this, we find the social history uh, of uh, especially the historians connected with the British Communist Party in Great Britain or that left the British Communist Party. You think of Hobsbawm, Epi Thompson, etc or the radical left intellectuals of New Left Review. We think about, of course, history from below, Histoire Sociale Française from France. Um, I do believe that uh, people's history, it's uh, uh, the history of the oppressed that have resisted. And that's why I don't call it losers. Sometimes these uh, fights, they uh, were, um, they end up in uh, defeats, but uh, several times they, they end up in victories. Uh, if you think about, um, so for example, if we think about the Stalinist counter-revolution that defeated the Russian revolution together with the foreign invasions, the defeat of German revolution, this is true. But if you think about the impact of the Russian Revolution with a very interesting concept called self-determination from Perry Anderson, a very important, another very important left Marxist or left intellectuals to be more accurate, um, which is after the Russian Revolution, the possibility of a, a, a group, a collective uh, number of people uh, putting in the history, their own project of self-emancipation, um, it was defeated, but at the same time, the level of our influence in history, the, the belows, changed radically after the Russian Revolution. There is a new word after the Russian Revolution. This is Soviet and an old word, which is Kzar. The new word is how it is possible to change the world for the uh, lower classes, for the working class, uh, when they pick up uh, the future in their hands. Then I can pick up examples which are more easily for, um, for the readers to, I think, agree immediately. You think of Nazi resistance uh, in the Second World World. Uh, well, if you think that Second World War is a defeat for everyone because 80 million people died and there is no really a side that uh, won a war where 80 million people died, but the Nazi regime was defeated and the resistance win uh, against the most barbarian project of humanity. Uh, well, if you think about of the impact of the May of 68, of the Portuguese revolution in the 70s, um, all of, or we can go back to this 
uh, to other revolutionary process along the 20th century. Uh, I wouldn't say that this is about the losers because it's not about all the people. And it's also not just about the oppressed because there are oppressed in history that don't try to change their condition. The people's history is about the oppressed that try to fight against the oppression in several ways. But so I, I, I'm not sure if I gave the best answer, but I, I always resume it as the, the history of the resistance. That is a spectacular answer to the question. How do you think we view history differently? What, how do we misunderstand history when we view the history of World War II as the Allies being victorious, winning that war over fascism? How do we view that war differently when we see that war as a victory when clearly, as you were pointing out, with 80 million people dead, it was a loss for all of humanity? Well, uh, if we look to the Second World War as a world a war between Nazism and democracy, we fail to comprehend the history, because uh, the war was not just about Nazism uh, against democracy and democracy against Nazism. There was another side of the anti-Nazism, uh, which was a revolutionary or resistance approach. If you think about this was majoritary, so there was an anti-capitalist side in the Second World War, which uh, had, uh, uh, um, we are speaking of uh, half million people engaged in the French resistance, even that they were not all revolutionary or anti-capitalist because you also had Catholic sectors in this resistance or other sectors. An important part was anti-capitalist, as well as in Italy. In Yugoslavia, they won the war without needing, uh, um, without needing uh, a foreign uh, military sector uh, to, uh, to help them. Or if you think about in Greece, uh, where the resistance uh, had control over the majority of the country, Although again, not all the resistance was anti-capitalist, but a huge part it was anti-capitalist. So the second thing, if, if we want to look um, to a different approach to history is that we don't understand the Second World World as an answer against the Nazism, but as a collective answer of capitalist states against the 29 crisis. The 29 crisis was the way out, the, the Second World War was the way out of the 29 crisis. Even in US, the, the US just uh, left the figures of the 29 crisis when they transformed the employers in soldiers and the, the, um, the, the immobilization of productive capacity the factories that were closed into factories of war economy. This was immediate, immediately obviously the war economy in Nazi in Germany in 1933. Uh, it was of course uh, uh, immediately uh, very visible in the forced collectivization of the peasants in uh, US in Ukraine to force them to work in factories toward an industrialization that was based a lot in the uh, in war economy. The war economy was also the war, uh, was also the economy of France, 
later end of England. And the first step, as we know, was given with the defeat of the Spanish Revolution with the Francoist victory. So uh, we have to understand that because after the Second World War, there was this generalized idea that which has a lot to do, of course, with the, with the barbarian uh, situation of the Jewish and the Holocaust, but also with the building of Israel state. There was this idea that uh, Nazism was a result of a crazy guy, Hitler, who managed to control by a massive propaganda an entire country. I believe this is a very mechanicist approach to history and very based on uh, lots of ideology and less empirical research. Because what we see in the Second World World is that in the 30s, most of the countries were prepared to a gigantic uh, imperialist confrontation that could uh, bring, uh, uh, that could uh, stop uh, by national effort, the idea of uh, class struggle and social revolutions. Of course, this was much stronger in Germany because in Germany, the communists were stronger, were very near Soviet Union. They had tried the revolution in 1990 and 1923 and the Germany's economic situation was even more degraded than in other countries. <laughs> Kyle Seisman, Kowski. Thank you very much. Whoa, traffic's backed up all the way down Morgan, and I see why. Uh, looks like your buddy is at it again. Don't call him my buddy. Kyle, what are you doing? Jess, you're just in time. Let's do a new episode about this. About you washing cars? Well, this is the Seisman Sudski Festival, a semi-annual Bridgeport quasi-celebrity car wash and laundry. I do it every... Oh, uh, hold up. Car wash and laundry? Yes, exactly. People bring their dirty clothes to me. I soap them up and I wash their car with them. I got all the neighborhood heroes involved. Uh, over there is a guy who played uh, music on John Daly's show once. How do you do? Go away. And of course, we got Steve from Bernice's. Hi, Jess. Oh, hey, Steve. Oh, well, this seems weirdly pragmatic for you, Kyle. Yes, I know. And just for a few bucks... All Bridgeporters can come to the GoPro Alley for a car and laundry wash. It's like the only time I ever clean anything. Impressive crowd you got here. Man, I've been doing this for years. Where does the other end of that hose go? Oh, I just ran it through the mail slot up to Eric's place. <laughs> he never notices, but it's on the DL, so. Actually, here, hold the hold the hose for a minute. I gotta do this. Oh, oh my God. For the listeners, I should explain. Please don't. Kyle, are you wearing a bikini? Are you wearing my bikini? Hey, I found it on the floor fair and square. Whose floor? Jamie's. I live there too. That's also my floor. Yeah, but you rent. You don't own it. So like, you know, whatever, right? Not a thing. I definitely don't want that back. And now what my audience has been waiting for. That's more technically impressive than I would have thought possible. I have to say, everyone's mesmerized by... Is that my blouse? I wonder, are you washing that car with my clothes? Hey, don't blame me. Jamie said he didn't want the car wash. He just wanted the laundry did. Oh, here comes the meltdown. Answer the phone. Jamie, I cannot believe you let Kyle wash the car with my clothes. They ain't clothes, the laundry. Gotta go. 
This week on The Biden Files, Democrats get a $1.9 trillion rescue bill passed over lockstep Republican opposition. Trump sends out a press release demanding credit for the vaccine. A crisis at the border grows. Fresh warnings from the CDC. New threats to the filibuster. The wall is scattered across the Southwest. And was Brett Kavanaugh's background check a fake? These are The Biden Files. Day 52, March 12th. President Biden signed the $1.9 trillion economic relief package ahead of a primetime address on the pandemic. Biden directed states to make all adult Americans eligible to receive coronavirus shots by no later than May 1st and said he expects life in the U.S. could return to a new normal by the 4th of July. Biden said he will also now begin a far-reaching effort to rebuild the nation's infrastructure. A sixth woman accused Governor Andrew Cuomo of sexual misconduct in the most graphic incident to date. The New York State Police subsequently said the incident may have risen to the level of a crime. Democrats appear to be breaking with Cuomo with the announcement that the state Senate will open impeachment investigations. If Cuomo is impeached, it will be the first in over a century in New York. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Jerry Nadler, and at least 13 other House Democrats from New York called for Cuomo to resign. Cuomo, meanwhile, addressed the allegations at a news conference saying, quote, I did not do what has been alleged, period. I'm not going to resign. I was not elected by the politicians. I was elected by the people. The Justice Department said it will charge at least 100 more still unidentified persons connected to the January 6th attack at the U.S. Capitol. Describing the investigation as one of the largest, most complex investigations in U.S. history, prosecutors asked a judge for 60-day delays across a series of cases, saying it will take time to organize evidence and make it available to both suspects and the defense attorneys. To date, prosecutors have charged 320 people, executed more than 900 search warrants, and have received more than 15,000 hours of surveillance video. Five of the six living presidents appeared in a PSA urging people to get their vaccinations. The one who was missing sent out a statement on presidential letterhead that read, quote, I hope that everyone remembers when they're getting the COVID-19, so often referred to as the China virus vaccine, that if I wasn't president, you wouldn't be getting that beautiful shot for five years at best, and probably wouldn't be getting it at all. I hope everyone remembers. Day 53, March 13th. Wisconsin Senator Ron Johnson told an interviewer he wasn't worried about the predominantly white supporters of Trump during the deadly insurrection at the Capitol, but he would have been if they had been Black Lives Matter protesters. In an interview with syndicated radio host Joe Pagliarulo, Johnson said, I knew those were people who love this country that truly respect law enforcement, would never do anything to break the law, so I wasn't concerned. Now, had the tables been turned, and Joe, this is going to get me in trouble, had the tables been turned and President Trump won the election in tens of thousands of Black Lives Matter and Tifa, I might have been a little concerned. Trump's acting defense secretary, Chris Miller, blamed the former president's speech for inciting the insurrection. Quote, would anybody have marched on the Capitol and overrun the Capitol without Trump's speech? I think it's pretty much definitive that that wouldn't have happened. The Army also initially rejected D.C.'s request for the National Guard ahead of that rally, saying the military shouldn't be needed to help police with traffic and crowd management unless more than 100,000 demonstrators were expected. The Army was apparently worried about the optics of having troops in the street in D.C. A new audio tape of Trump urging a Georgia election official to find, quote, the right answer while checking ballots for irregularities could help prosecutors build a case against him. Trump placed a call to the lead investigator, Francis Watson, who reacted with surprise that the president of the U.S. would take time to reach out to a mid-level state election official. Something bad happened, Trump told Watson in the tape. When the right answer comes out, you'll be praised. That file was found in Watson's trash folder on her computer. 
State Department officials requested the unmasking of the identities of American citizens or permanent residents in intelligence reports on at least 285 occasions during the Trump administration. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo made at least 33 such requests. The Trump administration had harshly criticized unmasking, claiming a routine measure was actually evidence of nefarious intent. Day 54, March 14th. President Biden deployed FEMA to the U.S.-Mexico border to help shelter and transfer thousands of unaccompanied teens and children. There are roughly 4,000 children in CPB custody. That is a 25% increase from a week earlier. Unaccompanied minors continue to arrive at the border more quickly than HHS officials can match them with sponsors. While DHS has called it a crisis, Biden studiously has not, mindful that Trump labeled it a national emergency and then used that to fund his border wall with money lawmakers refused to give him. A review ordered by the new regime at the CDC found that COVID-19 guidance during the Trump administration was not grounded in science or primarily authored by its staff. The review found that some guidance, quote, used less direct language than evidence supported, needed to be updated, and presented the underlying science base for guidance inconsistently. Late in his administration, Trump rushed to build segments of an incomplete border wall, putting random pieces of the wall in places across the American desert. The project, which is already one of the costliest in American history, with an estimated price tag of more than $15 billion, saw only a few miles of the wall built in South Texas, the area most prone to illegal crossings. Instead, much of the construction was done in remote parts of Arizona, where crossings in recent years have been uncommon. In some places along the border, such as Guadalupe Canyon in southeast Arizona, dynamiting crews were blasting hillsides on Inauguration Day. Day 55, March 15th. The Centers for Disease Control warned that some states were moving to relax restrictions too soon and could see another surge in COVID cases. The CDC also warned that cases climbed last spring and summer and that vaccination levels in America were not yet high enough. The TSA has screened more than 1 million people every day since last Thursday. That is the highest airport volume in a year. Dr. Anthony Fauci also warned states on what he called the risky business of eliminating public health measures, quote, don't spike the ball on the five yard line, wait till you get into the end zone. We are not in the end zone yet. Two men have been charged in the death of Brian Sicknick, a Capitol police officer who died the day after he fought rioters storming the Capitol. The FBI arrested George Pierre Tanios of West Virginia and Julian Kiter of Pennsylvania on charges of assaulting police officers with a bear spray. It is unclear, but suspected that Sicknick died from exposure to that spray. The Defense Department's Inspector General Office has concluded a long-delayed investigation into Michael Flynn and his acceptance of money from Russian and Turkish sources. Flynn was pardoned by Trump. The investigation into him also was delayed for three years for reasons that remain unclear. The watchdog office closed its investigation one week after the Biden administration took office and forwarded its findings to the Army. Now it is now unclear if the Army will release that report or charge Flynn. President Biden is expected to announce major tax increases on corporations and the wealthy in what will be the first major hike in almost 30 years to fund key initiatives such as infrastructure, climate, and help for poorer Americans. Those hikes would be included as part of an infrastructure and jobs package and would likely include repealing portions of Trump's 2017 tax law. The plan would raise $2.1 trillion. Day 56, March 16th. 
American intelligence has concluded that Russian President Vladimir Putin authorized extensive efforts to interfere in the 2020 American presidential election. Russia was bent on doing everything it could to dissuade American voters from choosing Biden as a candidate. That operation included direct operations to influence Rudy Giuliani, whom the report called a Russian proxy actor. China also attempted to mount an operation but withdrew after concluding it would fail. The same report categorically dismissed allegations of foreign-fed voter fraud and reiterated that the Trump campaign was fed and spread lies about Biden's family in the state of Ukraine. Border officials said they expect more migrants to attempt to cross the southwest border this year than any time in the last two decades. Citing a combination of endemic poverty, violence, and the pandemic, the Secretary of DHS, Alejandro Mayorkas, said the conditions were now critical. The majority of crossings so far appear to be single adults fleeing Latin America. A senator claimed that the FBI's 2018 background check of Brett Kavanaugh, the Supreme Court Justice, was fake. Sheldon Whitehouse of Rhode Island called for proper oversight into questions about how thoroughly the FBI investigated Kavanaugh during his confirmation hearing. Kavanaugh was accused of sexual assault by Christine Blasey Ford and faced several other allegations of misconduct following Ford's harrowing testimony of an alleged assault when she and Kavanaugh were in high school. Whitehouse claims the FBI did not, in fact, conduct a check on the justice before his hearing. Republican legislators in Wisconsin are backing a bill that would keep the controversial so-called conversion therapy legal in their state. The discredited therapy by which counselors attempt to change the sexual orientation of gay or transgender people is currently illegal under a proposed State Department of Safety and Professional Standards rule. The so-called therapy, which is not considered mainstream practice and has been used by a number of fringe religious movements, is also opposed by professional counselors and therapists. Multiple European countries suspended use of the Oxford vaccine after 30 reports of unusual blood disorders. This out of 5 million recipients of that vaccine. The EU regulator so far says it sees no reason to change its recommendation, but Sweden and France became the latest nations to stop using the jab. Meanwhile, the Netherlands saw a 25% jump in cases week over week. France has said they are now entering a third wave. And the Senate confirmed Deb Holland to lead the Interior Department, making her the first Native American to ever serve as a cabinet secretary. Holland will oversee the agency that manages the federal government's relations with tribes, as well as 20% of American land and 25% of our nation's fossil fuel production. Day 57, March 17th. President Biden said for the first time that he favored a return to the good old days of the filibuster, ones that forced senators to occupy the floor and talk while doing so. Currently, senators need only to register their objections to legislation to force supporters to produce 60 votes to break the filibuster, and the filibuster, which was once rare, has become a cudgel used to block virtually all legislation. Senator Mitch McConnell promised a scorched earth response and then pledged to derail Biden's agenda if Democrats eliminated it. However, under Republican rule, the Senate effectively became a bottleneck with the GOP refusing to vote on bills, even those with strong bipartisan support. Richard Blum, the husband of Senator Dianne Feinstein of California, told Biden's advisors he's interested in being appointed to an overseas ambassadorship. Such a posting could pave the way for the 87-year-old Feinstein to leave the Senate, solving an increasingly awkward problem for the Democrats. Senior party officials have been blunt about what they describe as the senator's diminished acuity. They are also eager to replace her with a black woman, of which there are none in the Senate. Feinstein has already agreed to relinquish her ranking position on the Judiciary Committee under pressure from Senator Chuck Schumer, who is now the majority leader, as well as other Democrats. 
U.S. move to punish 24 Chinese officials for undermining Hong Kong's democratic freedoms. That move came just days before the first scheduled meeting of senior Chinese and American diplomats since Biden took office. The timing of that action was pointed and intentional. It continues a testy start to relations between the Biden administration and China after a tumultuous four years under Trump. Earlier sanctions imposed by the Trump administration have barred those same officials from traveling to the U.S. and frozen their assets in this country. Senate Democrats introduced the For the People Act, a comprehensive voting reform and anti-corruption bill that was passed by the House earlier this month. In introducing the bill, Chuck Schumer said that proposals to roll back voting access smack of Jim Crow and represent a threat to democracy. The bill, however, is currently doomed by the filibuster. And Biden called Putin a killer and said he will pay a price for his efforts to undermine the 2020 election. When asked what those consequences would be, Biden replied, you'll find out shortly. Day 58, March 18th. The number of Americans seeking unemployment benefits rose last week to 770,000, a sign that layoffs remain high even as the United States economy is recovering from the recession. 4.1 million people continue to collect traditional state unemployment benefits. Some 18.2 million Americans are receiving some form of jobless aid. Economists say that the effective unemployment rate is now 10%. 21 Republican state attorneys general threatened to sue the Biden administration. Over $350 billion set aside under stimulus relief to help cities, counties, and states. The rescue package contains language that prevents cities from using federal funds to, quote, deliberately reduce their revenue through local tax cuts. The language was inserted to prevent deliberate use of that money by municipalities to offset tax cuts. The Republicans claimed that the restrictions, quote, would represent the greatest invasion of state sovereignty by Congress in the history of our republic. A group sanctioned by the United States over Alexei Navalny's poisoning attack has been tied to a money laundering network with ties to an infamous incident involving Trump. Natalia Veselnitaskia tried to cover up a dark money network during a 2016 Trump Tower meeting with the Trump campaign as it was linked to a chemical weapons program run by Russia's intelligence services. Some $230 million was laundered through that network. The theft was reported by lawyer Sergei Magnitsky, who would end up dead in a prison cell in Russia. In response, Congress enacted the Magnitsky Act. Veselnikovskia was dispatched to persuade the Trump campaign to overturn that law, worried it revealed that state money was being laundered. The presidency cost Trump an estimated $700 million in lost wealth, according to a new analysis of his fortune produced by Forbes. Those losses were largely of his own making, as the pandemic and the Capitol riot badly damaged his brand. These are the Biden Files. Has a year of quarantine ushered in a new golden age of radio theater? Sharon Hoyer spoke with Frank McGurry, founder of Cabinet of Curiosity, about their radio theater adaptation of the classic silent horror film The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, and Corey Bradbury, founder of Theater in the Dark, about his radio play adaptation of Herman Melville's great American novel Moby Dick. Means of Production airs on third Fridays at 9 a.m. Frank Maudry, thank you so much for talking with me today. It's really a pleasure. Thank you. Before we get into talking about the new production that you have, the radio show, The Cabinet, um, first, I'd like to just ask you a little bit about um, your company, 
the Cabinet of Curiosity. I know a lot of folks know you as the former artistic director of Red Moon Theater, um, and now you have a new company. Um, could you tell me a little bit about that? Of course. Um, firstly, I was the producing artistic director with Red Moon Theater, to be um, fair and responsible. Um, secondly, Cabinet of Curiosity is about three and a half years old now after Red Moon met its demise. I spent two years at the Chicago Children's Theater. Um, and after that sort of tenure completed, I began to itch for doing the work that I really missed um, while at Red Moon, which was largely the, the, the training work, working with emerging artists to help them develop a sense of what is celebration, what is an event, how does interactivity and participation really impact an audience member or a guest. Um, and then the ritual and ceremony activities that I take great pride in from the Red Moon legacy. I've essentially sort of transported the acts of celebration, the practice of ritual and new ceremony and the art of puppetry into what is Cabinet of Curiosity. And, you know, of course, the work you've done, and I'm sure shifted quite a bit in this last year. Um, Kind of. I mean, kind of. You know, I think um, it'll be interesting to see when we're all done artists, at least talking about the pandemic and its consequences, um, because it feels like a fairly burdensome topic today because we've been living in the chaos mm-hmm. and and side effects of it, which for the artist community, as well as many other communities, the dining community, the bar community, which also are closely related to the theater and art community, mm-hmm. you know, we've we've suffered significantly. Cabinet was was really lucky in that um, we moved swiftly to different kinds of outdoor Um, COVID-safe activities that were able to engage hundreds of artists and lots and lots of um, audience members in in the sort of mechanism and frame of free opportunities. So as soon as on March 10th last year, we opened what was going to be our biggest show of the year, um, and it was obviously shut down the next day, a show. So since we knew everything was shutting down the next day, Lynx Hall was kind enough to say... You have 24 hours to get everything out. Mm. Um, Seth Bulkley said, you know, let's stream it live. Let's see how many people show up. We got three cameras in there with Stop Time Video, who did a beautiful job. And we had over 3,000 people join us on March 11th to watch the show um, performed for its sort of one and only public performance. Mm. Um, So that went away. We quickly moved to digital rituals, which were super interesting and Mm. kind of problematic. It was a, it was an experiment with about 25 artists, but it kept them busy and it kept us interested and it kept a dialogue with our audience. And then we began developing these packages of hope, which were videos and illustrations and, um engagements with audience to say if we were to make this kind of show how would you change it so we we just opened up communication largely around the idea of hope and joy because that was at least for me my principal exercise is you know how do i keep my spirit active because everything is getting dark really quick and how do i maintain relationship with other human beings when i'm told i can't even be near them really it's unsafe cabinet is very different than Red Moon in that we're, we're an ever-evolving collective. So okay. each project gathers new artists, 
who are interested in that project and they, they hang around, they work on that project. And when that project's done, if, if they like us and we, we mutually enjoy them, then we develop a longer term relationship. So the collective is intentionally always transforming. So there's always new voices and always new inspiration being brought to the project's collaborative efforts. And that, that's been super interesting and difficult and really mm. exciting. Mars Williams spent months excavating old, decayed dats and live tapes from the golden age of Chicago live music. Here, exclusively on Lumpen Radio, is the world premiere of one of Liquid Soul's lost tracks. This is Booty Wiggle from 1998. See if we can get some booties wiggling out there. Y'all better join the booty wiggle club. Bring it on. This here is the dance floor up here, so you are more than welcome to slide to the front if you don't have room in the back.
Download complete. Now playing, Eureka Cast Now. Inspire curiosity. Imagine science. From um, someone named uh, uh, Peter Maris. Uh, they do not have their blue check mark from Twitter, um, but they are on Twitter. So this hopefully is... they're yeah. Hopefully they're trying to get it. Yeah, of course. I mean, who doesn't want it? But he he's, he posits or really questions. Explain to me how trees are of any help whatsoever, specifically with regard to carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. That's in parentheses. Leaving out the fact that you need a huge new forest for them to have the desired effect. In a century or so, the tree is dead, decomposes, or is burnt, and the CO2 is right back in the atmosphere. Um, and this is, of course, replying to Elon Musk in a wider discussion that I'm not privy to. Mm -hmm. um, but let's turn that over to Mr. Dweebson. Uh, what do you think of this? Is this person onto something with regards to forests and their roles in regulating uh, the climate? This is uh, another. Uh, this is another example of how the, the, why you can't trust people who don't have blue checks on Twitter. It's mm. an example of uh, an immediate example of that they know what they're talking about. Unlike this person, who clearly has no understanding of the chrono significance of trees and the mm. way that you can use logging to not only uh, finance enormous amounts of, of paper markets, but you can also use logging to track things. And this person would get rid of logging entirely. Well, Ridiculous. Uh, that's, uh, could, you, could you touch on that just a tiny bit more in terms of r w logging um, and, and natural and, logging and, 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 and in chrono, chrono consulting? Uh, what's the intersection there? Well, the, uh, the chrono logging these days involves waiting until, say, the year 2050 and chopping down a forest, but then returning to year 2049 and chopping it down then as well. Then you can log the forest twice, and you can go back in time and do this over and over and over, mm -hmm. making every forest infinitely more valuable than it is without chrono logging. That's, that is fascinating. I've always heard, I have always heard the phrase, uh, a man cannot log the same forest twice, for he is not the same man, and that is not the same forest. But with this new technology, you, you, you're saying you can very much do that, and that changes a lot of what we think about in science. Yes, even chrono finance allows you to even subvert classic parables that have existed since the dawn of humanity. As they ought to be. All things ought to be subverted, 100%. Uh, Dr. Imogen, what is your take on this? Do you, how do you feel about this statement? Is, uh, I mean, can you hear me? Yes. It's coming in through a... Can you hear me? Yes. Are, uh, Dr. Imogen, are you there? Dr. Imogen, I think they might have entered into some... Surrounded by trees. There are roughly 420 trees for every person. Incredible. So that means there are 3.04 trillion trees. Now this is, okay. this is I, I, I'm going I'm to take your word on so this. Far. I'm going to take your word these on this. And all of these trees are 5,000 years old? You say this can't be possible. I tell you it's true. But I, all these trees are the same tree. They're clones of the tree, and you're just seeing a picture of a tree, which is a frequency, a hologram. So what do you think about this, all, this all science? These, so all, all matter is just light. 
slowed down to a slower speed. That's fascinating, Dr. Imogen. Mm-hmm. I... The matter of trees, we are trees. I cherish your wisdom so much. Um, Dr. Imogen, what do you think about CO2? Uh, some nitrogen, right? Eureka Cast Now, broadcasting Saturdays, 8 to 9 p.m. on Lumpen Radio. The Lumpen Week in Review is produced by the staff and volunteers of WLPN LP Chicago, the community radio of the future. The Week in Review is overseen by Jamie Trecker, voiceovers by Shanna Van Volt, additional production by Cole Eisenberg, Julie Wu, Sergio Rodriguez, Neil Gaynor, Lane Gerbig, Alexander Jerry, John Piotrowski, Ari Shellist, and Annie Klein. Live music production by Ari Shellist. The Lumpen theme, background, and interstitial music is by Mike Perkins. The Lumpen Radio Sting is by Dan Jugal. For more information on Lumpen Radio, visit lumpenradio.com. Yeah.